Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services representative, and we're so glad to bring you this week's episode. First, we have a market update with Tiffany LaMandola, our contract economist with Blooming and Associates, followed by a sit-down that Darby had with Kevin Piercy of Raimondo and Associates, bringing us all the latest updates on COVID-19, labor law, and some changes that you should all be aware of. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We're going to jump right in with Tiffany. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Hi, folks. Hope you had a great week. It was another pretty encouraging one in our dairy markets. A uh, couple things. We, of course, markets were closed on Monday. Tuesday, we started the week off with a bang with another global dairy trade event out of Oceana. Pretty much all major commodities moving higher. So definitely appreciate the support in the international markets uh, here to our domestic prices as well. Uh, We also got the final uh, uniform price for December. So hopefully you got your final milk check for December and hopefully that felt a little bit more encouraging. Uniform blend at 1933. So with higher components and such, um, your check may have been a little bit better than that. Uh, thank goodness, as your costs are certainly up as well, um, but encouraging to see finally some recovery um, in our dairy markets here. And overall, looking out into 2022, things held together pretty well this week. Uh, we did see some pressure on our spot cheese market. Um, recall it had tipped up above $2 in the block market. Um, we have seen some more sell side activity come to Chicago to the spot exchange and um, blocks closed the week down to 180.75. Barrels actually finished up a little bit above blocks at 181.25. So off our highs, uh, but still at good levels. Um, those declines did take a bit of a beating on our class three futures curve. Uh, but that forward curve is still at historical highs. Uh, the class four space held in there pretty well. Um, Butter, our shining star, uh, closed at 293.50. So we're flirting around with $3 butter. And non-fat dry milk, although a little bit of activity through the week, we ended up closing at 181.50. Class four futures were a little volatile this week, um, but again, still record levels out on that 2022 futures curve. Uh, received a lot of calls about the DMC, Dairy Margin Coverage Program, this week. You have until February 18th to sign up for that via FSA. Uh, we'll start running uh, indemnity estimates and the update, although given the uh, elevated futures, milk futures levels right now, I doubt that before the sign-up period there will be any indemnities um, estimated for that program. So what you would be doing is uh, if you decide to sign up, you're protecting yourself against obviously a dramatic change in milk prices moving through 2022 and or a escalation in grain prices uh, throughout 2022. So it's probably will be something that changes later in the year. Um, I don't know that payments in these first few months are expected at this point. Uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Have a wonderful week. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community 
with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with a relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Well, I'm here with Kevin Piercy of Ramundo and Associates, our resident COVID expert, whether he likes it or not. Thanks for taking some time to be on the podcast today. Not a problem. Thanks for having me here, Darby. Well, as always, when we have you on, we have some workplace COVID requirements that we are hoping to share out with our members. Would you mind kind of running through what's been going on recently in that world? Of course. Uh, so the, the two big things we have going on uh, are changes to the quarantine guidelines for COVID-19 exposure and to the uh, California new mask mandate. Um, so first, for the quarantine guidelines, there has been an update that's gone into place. Uh, we, are, we are really, uh, we, we have the two separate um, standards for, for your employees. Uh, you have first, you have uh, for your employees who have been uh, fully vaccinated against COVID-19, and that is a, um, that's, that's very specifically requiring either you had the, the single Johnson & Johnson, um, which I believe it's still only recommended as one, sh one full dose. And then uh, when you are eligible for a booster uh, dose, that you get the booster dose of, of the J&J. Uh, &J. Uh, and then there's also the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, um, which uh, you have to have all of the regular full, the full doses. So if it's a two dose, you know, if they say it has to be two shots, then you have to get two full shots. If it's three, four, five, however many they want to say, uh, that's, the full shot amount, and then you also have to take uh, all the boosters. So, when as soon as you become uh, eligible for the for your your first booster shot for the vaccine, then you um, then you take that, and then that's considered fully vaccinated. So, if you haven't had all of the full doses and all of the boosters, then you're not fully vaccinated. But so for those fully vaccinated employees who have been exposed to COVID nineteen, uh, they don't have to go home. They're actually fine. They can continue to work in, you know, go to the workplace. Uh, they are required to test for COVID-19 infection, um, you know, uh, especially on day five. Uh, they got to wear a mask around uh, others for 10 days, uh, a total of 10 days from their first exposure, um, especially if they're in an indoor setting. And if they test positive, then, they, then you want them to follow the isolation recommendations um, for, the, for the rest of the, you know, employees. And if symptoms do develop, then they, then of course, they have to be tested for COVID-19 and they have to stay home. Uh, so the, the amount of time for everyone else, though, has been dropped from 10 days down to five days. So it, it was 10-day isolation quarantine period after exposure or uh, if you test positive. And now it is dropped only down to five days. Uh, it's caused a little bit of a stir. But uh, you know, CDC has come out and said, "Hey, this is this is what we're showing. We don't need the ten days. We haven't needed the ten days. It's only actually been really good five. And then they said, "Well, based upon how um, how historically with other kind of respiratory illnesses, it's been like a five day time. So from you know a few days before you're uh, you you know, you're you know showing symptoms to you know, a few days after you, you develop uh, the symptoms is that's your most infectious time. So that's why, that's where they got the five days from, not from 
you know, something specific, but just kind of like a general, this is what we do. Uh, so they say, all right, you gotta stay home for at least five days. Um, they can, those employees can then return to the workplace after day five if their symptoms are not present or, uh, or if they, they had symptoms and they're resolving. And at that case, if they did have symptoms, they also have to have a diagnostic specimen. So they prefer a, uh, one of the antigen tests uh, that's collected on day five or later, and that has to be negative. And then when that's the case, they can come back. Um, if the employee is unable to take a, uh, a, you know, a diagnostic specimen, as they call it, or if they choose not to take that test and their symptoms are not present or are resolving, the employee still may not return to the workplace until after day 10. So if they want to come in before the 10 days has gone up uh, after their exposure or when they tested positive, uh, if, if you want to have them come back, if they want to come back after or before the 10 days, then they have to take a test, a, a secondary test. If they don't, then they're just going to stay out the whole time. Uh, under no circumstances may any employee return to work until their fevers resolve. Um, if an employee's symptoms other than their fevers are not resolving, uh, the employee may not return to work until their symptoms are resolving. It doesn't have to be completely resolved, it just has to be getting better or until after day 10 from the positive test. So they can, if it's before the day 10, it's just, uh, you know, your, your symptoms gotta get better. But if it's after the day 10, you know, and you're still coughing up a lung, I mean, technically, according to their guidelines, it's, no, you're, you're welcome back, because it's after the 10 day period. You should be generally fine, according to the CDPH. And then uh, employees must wear face coverings around others until day 10 after their positive test, especially when they're indoors. And I know, okay, well, what's the face covering? mean? Well, it's, it, it's really, they, they wanna have multi-layered, they, they say the one single layer of, uh, of a mask is not enough, like a neck gaiter. They say, if you're gonna wear a neck gaiter, you at least have to like turn it over or like get some sort of other kind of mask over that or you know, between there. So there's, there's multiple layers. They want more than just one layer. Uh, let's see, was there anything else on the, um, yeah, and that's the, yeah, so it's down from the, from the 10 days down to the five, that's the big, the big change for the quarantine guidelines and that your fully vaccinated people can, um, that they can, they can just continue to work unless they test positive or, you know, or get symptoms and they gotta, they gotta start um, isolating at home. As far as the uh, California mask mandates that are now in place, well, the CDPH, uh, they issued new guidance uh, at the, on December 13th, 2021. And so they put in a uh, requirement that's gonna be in place until February 15th, 2022, that requires everybody in, that's indoors, uh, at an indoors public setting, all, all, uh, all people need to wear a mask. <clears throat> now, uh, you know, the, again, the mask has to be multi-layered. Uh, they, they do say, they say a surgical mask, you know, something, you know, what they use for, uh, to keep, you know, spit from flying out uh, is uh, one of the, is, is perfectly fine. Not like neck gaiter kind of stuff, but like a, a you know, surgical mask, you know, once it got the big old uh, open spaces on the side of the face where air can kind of come out, those are fine. Um, you just gotta have multiple layers in front of your mouth so spit doesn't come out, so. That's what they say. Uh, but there are some exceptions to that still. Uh, so some of the exceptions are if a person's younger than two years old, 
they're not required to wear a mask. So, I mean, obviously, I'm not expecting uh, a lot of these dairymen probably don't have, have two year old employees uh, working working there. It's uh, it, we tend to have laws against that type of thing. But uh, if there are visitors at the site, um, you know, those those and they do go indoors rather than just staying outdoors. Uh, then, if they're two or two years old or younger, they don't have to wear um, wear a, uh, a a mask. Um, and there's also people with medical conditions or like mental health conditions or a disability that prevents them from wearing the mask. Uh, then, so there's an option that they can wear a uh, like a, another face like a face shield type of covering. We you probably most people have probably seen those by this point. Uh, you know the little face shield, and they say to have a cloth drape at the at the bottom of it. Um, but they also have an exception of hey, some people have a medical condition or a mental health condition or a disability where that even even wearing that is not is not uh, feasible. And so they say, okay, well if that's if that's going to be the case, then those people have to then um, they just have to maintain uh, dis social distancing of six feet from everybody else. And they either have to be fully vaccinated, remember that's all of the full doses and all of the booster doses as soon as you're eligible, or that employee has to be uh, tested uh, for COVID-19 uh, weekly. And the, all that testing has to be done on the clock, uh, you know, at no expense to the employee. Um, one of the interesting things though here is, is you know, this is coming from CDPH who, the the only real mechanism they have of enforcing this is having Cal OSHA say that that's what they have to do. Um, realistically, though, this is something that is really a a, a jurisdictional issue. Um, you have plenty of counties throughout California. In fact, I believe it's the majority of the counties aren't enforcing the mask mandates and have been actually pretty clear that they're not going to enforce. I know Fresno County's, uh, the sheriffs here in Fresno uh, said that they're not gonna do that, that it's, you know, it's gonna be really up to the businesses that or if they want to have a mask mandate or, you know, the, the individual uh, municipalities. And so there's that. But then again, we also have places like San Francisco and LA who are definitely, you know, they're enforcing their, these, uh, these mandates and they are, uh, you know, and they are doing that. So it's really a, you got to know what your county is, what your what your city, you know, or township is, uh, you know, if they're enforcing all that, and, and stay in compliance with how um, how your how it is locally. There's there's no real state massive state you know police force that is uh, coming in and enforcing all of these things. But that's that's big, basically the big uh, the big changes are um, that yeah for right now for the mask we have to they, they are saying that everybody in an indoor setting has to wear a mask unless you're like by yourself in, the, in an office or a room or actively eating or drinking something or if you've uh, uh if you're performing live in an indoor setting you know recording uh you know if you're playing music you don't have to do that kind of thing in, indoors of course that's not typically a dairy <laughs> issue you don't typically have uh you know the dairymen don't bust out into song and dance in the middle of their their work day, I'm pretty sure. So uh, that's that that exception generally doesn't apply. But hey, who knows? It's maybe a you know you know some you know live rendition of uh, Oklahoma or something going on. I don't know. Uh, or if they're obtaining like a medical or cosmetic service involving the nose or face, which again these are kind of things you don't really see at dairies, but uh, these are some of the exceptions. And then. Um, 
if the workers wear resp respiratory uh, protection uh, for their job, then uh, you know they still have to follow all those normal Kalosha requirements. Um, and then there are some people who are specifically exempt from wearing masks, such as you know medical condition things like that. And that's about it for the uh, for the COVID nineteen quarantine and mask mandate updates. Can we touch just really quickly? I don't think it is really changed, but we could just remind our members about what the requirements are for sick leave for COVID employees. Yeah, so uh, your employees who, you know, we're talking about all the, the non-fully non uh, vaccinated, the unvaccinated or inadequately vaccinated uh, against COVID-19 people. Uh, and, and then maybe your few vaccinated people who uh, may get a breakthrough case. Um, if they have to stay home, then what's going to be tested is uh, they're going to find out, okay, your employees who stay home, the general rule is if it's a workplace-related exposure uh, and you are keeping them home and they're not able to work from home, that's, the, that's also a big caveat. They, you, they can't be remote working. So if you have like an office worker that, you, that can do the job, you're perfectly allowed to, to have them work from home and do that job still. Uh, but the, it's a work-related exposure. The person's unable to work from home and you're preventing them from coming in from, uh, due to COVID-19 exposure uh, uh, reasons. And the employee has to be able and available for work. Well, in that case, the employee is entitled to uh, their COVID-19 um, or to have their, their, their leave continue to be paid. And that is up to 10 days. Uh, so that's, you're, you're talking about your five days for the employees who, you know, and then they can come back, they get tested and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's fine. Uh, but if they can't come back because they are, um, you know, not willing to take a, a, another COVID-19 test, you know, little, little nose testing, uh, or if they, for whatever reason, they can't come back, you know, their, their symptoms are too bad. Well, then it can be up to the full 10 days. But the big caveat on this one is not the work-related, because the, the work-related is, is pretty straightforward. If your employee has to leave their, their home for, uh, you know, to go to work, then it's a rebuttable presumption that it is work-related. So you would just then have to do your investigation and see, okay, where did, where's the likely that this person got exposed to COVID-19? Okay, well, they got it from, you know, uh, little Johnny went to school and got COVID-19 there. And um, then, you know, you know, Jim Bob got, you know, got sick from, from little Johnny at home. And well, it's not work-related. So you can, it, that's pretty easy to, to find. Um, you just do the, the investigation, find out, okay, where's the possible exposure? Good to go. Uh, the big, the big one on this one though is the able and available for work, and I, I was curious about this uh, when Kalosha first implemented this rule, and so I, I reached out to them, and oops, sorry, uh, I reached out to Kalosha when this first happened, and I asked them, hey, so what's what does it mean to be able and available for work? And they said, well, you you can't be sick, you can't have any of these symptoms. Yeah, they have to be asymptomatic. Okay. So even if the employee, if, if they start to cough some, that's because that's one of the symptoms of COVID. Like, oh, well, yeah, if they're coughing, then, then they're not able and available for work. It's like, what if they, what if, if they're sneezing? Yeah, that's the same thing. You know, the body aches and just going through all the symptoms, right? And what it comes down to is if your employee is sneezing or coughing or has any of the symptoms of COVID-19, 
they're not able and available for work because now they are they're, they're actively symptomatic with their COVID after their COVID exposure. And then that employee is no longer able and available. Well, then they're not eligible for the for the leave to or for the paid leave to stay home because then that's now a a you know workers comp temporary disability issue. Um, you know that is that that is a not that's not your guys's problem. That's you know hey this is, you're no longer able and available for it. We're only paying you if you're able and available for work and we can't have you because you might spread COVID here or, you know, that type of thing. So that's, that's the big caveat there is that, that they have to be completely asymptomatic after their exposure. And that's the only way that they can get the pay. So it does behoove the employer to find out what symptoms the employee has been experiencing after their exposure because if they have been experiencing any actual symptoms then well you don't really need to pay them got it well that makes sense and as usual we appreciate your time and thank you so much for sharing with us once again a new set of COVID updates <laughs> not a problem thanks for having me on Barbie. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of Seen and Heard, and a special thanks to Tiffany LaMandola of Blimling & Associates and Kevin Piercy of Romano & Associates for the great information they brought to this week's episode. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to Seen and Heard on your favorite listening platform. And of course, if you have questions, comments, or content requests, please let us know. You can email melissa at m-l-e-m-a at wudairies.com. And Darby can be reached at d-a-r-b-y at wudairies.com. Thanks. We hope you have a great week, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. I-E-S dot com.